I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Have you ever been blessed with failure? Yeah, you have. I just don't know if you've recognized it, but oh, you have been blessed with failure on many occasions. See, if someone is going down the wrong path, they don't know it, but they're going down the wrong path with great success, and, and great success is driving them further, faster, is that success a blessing or a curse? Say it. Say it. It's a curse. That's right. I'm not tricking you. It is. It's a, you're like, oh, he always does this, and then he goes, no, you're dumb. Um, <laughs> I, so sorry that I've made you feel that way. <laughs> no, if, if, you're, if great success is driving you down the wrong path, that's not a blessing. That, that's success. And see, we still have it in our head that, well, success equals blessing and uh, failure equals curse. And that's just not true. For instance, anyone, and I know some, anyone who has gratefully survived an attempt at suicide, oh, they'll testify. They'll testify. They know all about the blessing of failure. You're doing something wrong and you fail. It's a blessing. Okay? We just don't have that in our head. We're going to think about it today. Likewise, and this kind of may be a little more humorous, but it's nonetheless true. Anyone happily married who reflects back on those old past courtships that thankfully didn't work out. He's like, oh, wow, at the time I was so upset, but what a blessing. What a... <laughs> Phew, just avoided that. So uh, here's really what I'm asking. How many times, and it's just really, it's a philosophical thing. It's just something to kind of ponder and put in your heart. How many times have I, have you perceived failure as a curse when in fact it was a blessing? Gosh, how often? You know, failure comes sometimes to bless, to get you, to keep you, to return you to the right path. Your, your true calling, your created purpose. On the other hand, how many times have I perceived success as a blessing when in fact it was a curse? We're, we're, we're just usually not very uh, sensitive to these things. So we've been talking about leaving our nets like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He called them to be, uh, Jesus called them to be his fishing partners, making fishers of men. And they left to become full-time followers. They talked about how they've been ready and waiting to take the stand, the witness stand. Talked about that as fishers of man. And uh, to do that, you've got to let go of what's holding you back in your life from your true calling, from your created purpose. It might be a good thing, might be a bad thing, but it's just things that, that get in the way of God in your life. And then dropping what we shouldn't be dragging along, the bad stuff, the stuff tangled up in our net. They left their nets. Sometimes we try to drag our nets. And like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we all start out strong when we first heed that call uh, to, to leave our nets and, and follow along and become more like Jesus. We're usually pretty good right at the get-go. You know, that's it. I, I see the light and I'm following Jesus. And then for everyone ever, so please hear this, for every single person ever who has made that decision to follow, uh, it gets rough. That's part of it. The going gets tough. And that's where the growth comes. Because it gets so tempting to return to whatever self-centered safety net I had going before Jesus. 
you know? Well, after weeks of deprivation and hunger, not me, the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who left all, followed him. It's a few months later, they end up right on the same shores. But, wow, they go through some rough stuff, uh, ending with threats of murder. The first threats of murder on Jesus' life, and it says they're very hungry. They're even picking heads of grain on the Sabbath because of their hunger, it says. And so Jesus uh, returns to the same shores where he'd called them to be his fishing partners, uh, become fishers of men. And they, once there, return to being fishers of fish. And they, and they leave Jesus to fend for himself. And I love this story. It's not told nearly enough because people, Luke tells uh, this story Matthew and Mark tell the other story about him first calling them. People try to make it the same story, and then they say, wow, it's got like 12 contradictions in it. No, it's two different stories. And if you just listen to the story, it's an incredible story. It's one of my favorites, because it doesn't get told enough. It's after they were called to be fishers of men, they went back to being fishers of fish. And Jesus really makes his point, really drives his point home. And they're really sorry. And he says, that's okay, now, you, now you'll catch men. Now you can do it. So that's the story today. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, big lake, Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd, we're talking thousands upon thousands from all Galilee followed, because, here's why, for he had healed many by touching them. So that, as you can imagine, because humans haven't changed, those with diseases, not healed yet, were pushing forward to touch him. And there he is by the lake, and you got thousands of people pushing forward. And so Luke picks up the story right here. Uh, he saw at the water's edge, they've pushed him into the lake. Where's his helpers? Because in other stories, he has crowd control. That's what the disciples did. But they're not doing it here in this story. He's at the water's edge looking this way, that way. Uh, it says, and he saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen. And that's a little dig, because Luke later tells us it's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And here it's just, you know, the fishermen, the guys who went back to that. The four disciples, he saw the two boats of the fishermen who were uh, washing their nets, you know, momentarily occupied. And when you read further in the story and you go, wait, this is Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and then you go back? You realize, what a story. Wow, the crowd pushing Jesus into the lake? And Peter, Andrew, James, and John washing their nets. He gets to the edge of the water. He sees their boats. Uh, and we got to be, you know, let's be nice to these guys. Money's tight. Food's scarce. That's part of the story. So when Jesus returned to the shore, they just returned to the security of the old ways. Just, hey, just going to take a moment. Just a minute. Just a minute. This is what they knew. This is what they, they were familiar with. This, this had always been their livelihood. And they're good at it. Very successful business partnership between the four of them. They just made the mistake of momentarily neglecting Jesus, is all. Just momentarily neglecting the guy who said, leave that and be my partner, my business partner. So at this critical moment when they were most needed as fishers of men, they're tied up in their old nets. Too tired out from tending to their own needs in their own way as fishers of fish. Now Mark picks up this portion again. Because of the crowd, you know, pushing Jesus into the lake, he told his otherwise, we find out he's telling Peter and them, he told his otherwise occupied disciples who were over there washing their nets, to 
to have a small boat ready. You know, the one we're told belongs to Simon. Have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. And I got to wonder how far out in that lake they backed Jesus up before he had to ask for help. Can I get a hand here? He's, he's not really that big into part-time uh, fishing partners. You know, I mean, especially if you've made the commitment to leave everything that gets in the way to follow him. And so right here, he already knows what he's doing. He's like, they want fish? <laughs> okay, I, uh, we'll give them fish. We'll, we'll, I, in fact, you know what? He is so going to school them in fish, they're never going to forget the lesson. And so he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. This is where Luke starts to tell us who they are. The one belonging to Simon, Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore, just deep enough so the people won't keep coming, otherwise they would. Then he sat down, <laughs> people, we just don't change. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And since we know, in hindsight, because of the story, we know that this all ends with this miraculous catch. That will serve. He didn't just do things randomly. That's going to serve as uh, his conclusion. He's teaching. And now a visual aid, everybody. Proof of his power and authority in the scriptures, in the teaching, in the world. Both to the crowd and to his fading disciples in the boat. And, I, and so because of that, because he's teaching from the word of God, and because he's, this is his conclusion... I gotta hope and think that he's somehow tied in Moses' charge against God when Moses got in trouble because he had trouble trusting the Lord to meet his needs, to, to feed all his people. The big crowd, you know, the size that he and now Jesus dealt with. I mean, it's too perfect for him not to have brought it up. Moses said, it's in Numbers 11, talking to God, would they, these people, would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? And the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? What's that mean? Is the Lord's arm too short? He's saying, look, I know you're speaking in hyperbole. You think I can't do that? You want all the fish in the sea? You think I can't? Because, see, the problem here with Moses is, don't, is doubt. It's, look, I, I called you, you responded, and now you're doubting. He says, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And that's when he brought all the quail. He stuffed them full of meat. It's a hilarious story because he stuffed them so full they all got sick. Anyway, it just begs the question to us this morning, just how many fish is enough? Just how many fish is enough? Because, boy, we're about to find out. <laughs> and so are they. When Jesus had finished speaking, boy, he gets ready to teach the lesson. And he said to Simon, put out into deep water. Which is where we all need to be if we want to be Jesus' business partners. On that deep water. Doing what he says. And let down the nets for a catch. He's not asking. Or is he? No, he said to Simon. Yeah, he didn't ask. He said to Simon. Put out in the deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. And he knows what he's saying. He's saying, use the net you just washed and put away to catch the fish that you know don't bite during the day. 
And Simon answered, Master, it's, it's equivalent to like boss. Very different from after the miraculous catch when uh, he'll call him Lord. He says, Master, boss, chief, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And why is that? Right there. Why not a single fish? I have to assume maybe they even prayed. You know, come on, God. Not a single. Why is that? Because if ever there was an example of someone being blessed with failure, this is it. God was blessing them all night long with failure to prepare them for what's to come. To he didn't want to just feed them. He wanted to change them. And so, boy, he does that a lot with us. Blesses us with failure in the night, in the dark. Because he's preparing us for what's to come. Because he wants to change us. And, and Peter, but listen, let's just listen to how he's talking to Jesus. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. You know, it's like you can just hear it in his voice. Your timing is terrible. You couldn't have said something like an hour ago before we washed them and put them away. But whatever, but whatever, we'll do it. Uh, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Uh-oh. Then the panic, then the panic that, that comes with great success sets in. So they signaled their partners, their business partners, their fishing partners. You know, James and John in the other boat to come and help them. You know, it's like, oh my, come on, the nets are breaking, the nets are breaking. Bring in the fish, bring in the fish, bring in the fish, bring in the fish. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Throw out the fish, throw out the fish, throw out the fish. That's us, that's us. We just don't, we don't seem to know when enough is enough. It's from one panic to the next. It's, uh, uh, we're, it's successful, let's panic. It's failing, let's panic. And that's how we allow our success to destroy us deprive us of the very thing it gives us. My favorite part in this whole story is this next piece. It's just, and it's between the lines, but I want to take my time just right here for you. It's just so short, and it's so wonderful, and we just forget. We know that this is going on, but it's not written down, so we have to remind ourselves. Tonight's my favorite moment. Knowing that this whole time, Jesus is sitting quietly in the boat being covered in fish, patiently watching those boats slowly sink. Until it's almost too late, and they realize he wasn't going to say anything. He would have gone down with the ship. He's captain of our salvation. But when Simon Peter saw this, saw everything, saw his panic-driven anxiety and greedy grabbing that nearly sank his boat and then the panic to get rid of it, not to mention, oh, his absence when needed, his hesitance when instructed, and he had left everything and now he's right back to this, and Jesus' power and authority and who he is, and there he is, and he fell at Jesus' knees. It's the only place in the Bible where someone falls at someone's knees because they usually fall at their feet. Why does he fall at his knees? Because Jesus, two feet are buried in two feet of fish. There's, you can't get to his feet. Splat. He falls at Jesus' knees and said, go away. Go away. It's not go away. It's go away from me. 
You don't want me. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Generally speaking, then, does success enhance or ensnare us? Just generally speaking. If success comes, does it enhance us or ensnare us? Generally speaking. <laughs> Depends, I suppose. We all like to think we're the exception. So we're like, oh yeah, it, it ensnares most people. But it would enhance me greatly. But statistically, statistically, as wealth increases, compassion decreases. This is a proven thing I'm going to show you. Uh, in fact, on average, we know this on average, the lower the household income, the higher the percentage of charitable giving. That's incredible. A psychologist at Berkeley, his name's Paul Piff, you might have uh, seen his TED talk. He conducted social experiments uh, that he describes in a TED talk that is titled, Does Money Make You Mean? And they went out to figure out once and for all what the effects of money really have on people. And wow, his team conducted these a fascinating series, extensive scientific tests. And they found, I'll just give you two examples. They found, for example, that they could turn most Monopoly players into uh, much poorer sports instantly, simply by restarting the game, they had a plant, a person who would accidentally knock the board over after they'd played and they got to you know, write down how a person acted. Restart the game, but then give the one person twice as much money as everyone else to start with. Instant poor sport. Uh, then they put a helpless pedestrian at an intersection, a variety of intersections at a crosswalk. And they discovered they could predict no matter where they were, the more expensive the car, the less likely it would stop. So what we kind of already knew is now a scientifically documented fact. Money, success, and status makes us jerks. If, if we're not on our guard and deliberately allowing Jesus to make us his business partner. Well, after this experience, uh, the, the fish, he, he, it's much later, it's weeks later, and he warns him about greed. He said to him, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because some of it's real subtle. And he says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Yeah, well, try telling that to my greed and selfishness, because I'll tell you, they make a pretty compelling uh, case to the contrary that sadly I listen to sometimes. Which is why our closets and our garages and our sheds <laughs> are filled with stuff we, you know this, you know this, preaching to the choir, it's filled, they're filled with stuff we don't really need, bought with money we don't really have to impress people we don't really like. And he told them this parable to make the point that you better be on guard. And this parable really asks, just how many storage sheds do we need? How many are enough? He says, the ground of a certain rich man. Guy wasn't poor. The guy was rich already. Produced a good crop. Abundance is good. Abundance is good. And he thought to himself, oh, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Well, contemplating what to do with your goods is good. But then he said, oh, this is what I'll do. 
I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods and I'll take life easy. He's already rich. And I'll take life easy and eat and drink and be merry. But you see, hogging, is, hogging our goods is bad. So God, who knew, because he's God, who knew this guy's ticker was just about to expire, said to him, the way God says things to us, we don't really hear him. It's kind of like when you watch someone yell at a TV at a football game. You know, it's behind the scenes. And so God, who knows this guy's ticker is about to expire, says to him, you fool! You fool! It's like, no! This very night, I know because I'm God, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Because you prepared it only for yourself. Remember how James and John were preparing their nets the first time when they left their boat to follow? And that's the big point. They were preparing their nets and they left it to follow. And then Jesus tells them this, this guy, and God says, who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says to his disciples, this is how it will be with anyone, anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This isn't about prosperity. It's about priority. Jesus is not against wealth, ambition, banks, retirement, and just generally enjoying life. Just greediness and selfishness, which hurts everyone involved while helping no one. And so, to review thus far, I'm going to boil it down. Piggy banks are good. Piggy hearts are are bad. That's as simple as I can make this message. It's so true, Polly. There's such a big difference between saving and pigging, right? So let's ask ourselves right now, what am I saving? What am I pigging? You know, if Jesus was here telling that parable today, I think he'd say is more like a guy uh, Having a, has a nice home and a couple cars and a big savings account and a retirement plan. And then he wins this 10-minute shopping spree. And you know, shopping sprees are a lot of fun. It's fun. It's just exciting to run around and grabbing more of what you don't really need for 10 minutes. What a horrible way to live this brief life. You know, oh, goodness, one cart's filled with blenders and another cart's filled with hams. And now you have to deal with them. But on the way home, you pass a low-income neighborhood. And as you drive through, it hits you. I'm going to empty my savings account and build a big shed. And, there, and I'm going to fill it with freezers for my hams and shelves for my blenders. And it is prudent because it'll increase my property value. And so, just as you put the last blender on the top shelf, and it is a KitchenAid ProLine 500 watt two-speed with a heavy-duty die-cast base and a 48-ounce stainless steel container polished to a sleek and sexy mirror-like finish, it falls on your head and you die. <laughs> But it was a gorgeous blender that took you down. And I think, I'm just updating the parable for us. And instead of the Lord saying, good job with your goods, 
he just shakes his head with sadness and says, you poor fool. You poor fool. Did you really just trade eternal treasure for blenders? <laughs> it is funny. God's not against the goods, just the greeds. Just the greeds. So what's it mean to be rich toward God? Well, first, before you can be rich toward God, you gotta find, or we gotta find our deepest security in the Lord. So there's no need to hoard. And then, freed up by that, it's all about using our blessings to bless Him by blessing others. As we all well know, collections quickly become obsessions. We know this stuff. stuff and stuff not only accumulates, it complicates. It compli and we grow attached. You know all this. We grow attached to it and then it has a power because then it calls to us to return to our old ways of putting our trust in whatever stuff that we gather to possess rather than to bless. So as Jesus said, be on your guard. Be, be on my guard against all kinds of greed because it robs us even as it rewards us. Is that a curse or a blessing? I got all this stuff. I can't tell anymore. Am I blessed or cursed? Tell you, Shar and I, the more we empty cupboards and get rid of stuff, we go, oh, this just feels so good. And so when Simon Peter saw this, got it, saw that his piggy heart was turning this blessing into a curse, almost lost his boats, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Go away from me, Lord. You know, do yourself a favor. Leave me to the fish. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a good partner. I'm a sinful man. And we know what's in his heart by Jesus' response. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. I'm not leaving you. You're catching on. Don't fear. From now on, after this experience and that confession, from now on, you will catch men. You will. I mean, if you can walk away from this kind of success, because, oh my goodness, this is the biggest payday ever, right? Fantasy catch. Leave it. Leave it all. You thought, you know, it's one thing to leave your empty nets the first time I called. Let's just, uh, it's up the ante. If you can leave this, oh, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything once again, but a whole lot more this time, and followed him. And he takes them, this is where he goes, he takes them right up on the hillside and the next morning selects the 12 and it says, starting with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. This doesn't mean you quit your day job to follow Jesus. It means you identify your calling, whatever it is. I mean, only you can identify it. And, and then you guard it as your first priority. And then, and this is the tough part, you keep all the secondary things secondary. And you trust when things get lean, whether by death or disease or divorce or depression. You lean not, when those things come, you lean not on yourself and the old ways you left behind. 
You know, it's tempting. You just want to get that quick false fix of self-centered security doing something. I just need to neglect Jesus for a little bit and do something I know he wouldn't really like. But you never, ever momentarily neglect Jesus for a little success because I'm telling you, it'll be a curse. That success bound to be a curse because he is our one and only eternal source. So many don't see it. So many just don't see it until they are sunk. Because he does not promise to meet our immediate needs as we perceive them. We hate that. He promises to meet our eternal needs as only he can know them. We trust that. He'll do that. If we'll leave, just leave everything up to him in his care and follow in his footsteps again and again and as many times as it takes. I mean, Peter, my goodness, you got to love him. He is the poster child of failing and repenting and returning with an ever more determined devotion. So we got to close it up here. Did we ever answer the question? When exactly is enough enough? Let's answer it. Two answers. As far as the enemy is concerned, enough is enough when it's just enough to sink you. And as far as Jesus is concerned, enough is enough when it's just enough to bless everyone he's put on your path. If you're his business partner. Because we're basically on a 10-minute shopping spree down here. And so we can either build trust in the Lord and love for others. Or we can build bigger shelves for ourselves. But bigger shelves will make us bigger jerks. Scientifically speaking, of course. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, worship you. Lord, we thank you for meeting our eternal needs as only you can know them. Holy Spirit, empower us to be on our guard against all types of greed. Keep our nets at the ready, our boats above water. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our one and only eternal source of all true success. Going to sing to you again. And in your name, everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.